And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, program sponsored by the West Virginia University Chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And with us every Sunday morning in this time slot, Kirby Myers, the WVUFCA campus director. Kirby, good morning. Good morning, Kyle. How are the St. Louis Blues doing, by the way? <laughs> I see that on your shirt. Yeah, it's up and down. They started 5-0, and uh, went about a month without winning consecutive games, but uh, they're playing a little bit better. Okay, so, good to hear. Uh, got a Stanley Cup first first time a few years ago. That was that was cool. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. All right, we're uh, going to Sunday school with the WVUFCA. Yes, sir. Well, good morning. Uh, back to the Gospel of John today, and so I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. John chapter one. We've been doing this for a few weeks now as we work through this great gospel together. And this is part three of the coming of the Son of God, and so as we approach this Christmas season, I think this is a very appropriate text to get our hearts ready for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. So John 1.18, we read these words, "'No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him.'" So the last time we were in the Gospel of John together, we got through verse 17, and I had much to say st still about verse 18, and so we stopped, and I told you that we would look at verse 18 next time, and so here we are this morning. No one has seen God at any time. That's what John says. That is a pretty definitive statement, is it not? And it, it doesn't come from any ordinary man, but it comes from one of the twelve one of the apostles, one of the closest friends of Jesus. Uh, John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, and he was part of that close inner circle along with um, James and Peter, that close uh, group of three that Jesus was with um, at times that he was not with his other disciples. This comes from John himself. John wrote this account under the direction and under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you've ever studied inspiration and to know what that means, you know that, that John wrote with his own vocabulary, he wrote with his own uh, background in mind, but he wrote down exactly what the Lord wanted him to write. In this gospel, he wrote near the end of the first century, perhaps around A.D. 85. Up to this point, no one had ever seen God. Yet there are those today in the 21st century who are claiming to see God, who claim to have seen God in visions, uh, when they died in the hospital, when they went to heaven, and they were brought back to life, and they, they talk about that experience, they write books about it, uh, they tell of their experiences, and they are bestsellers. Uh, just go to CVS or Walgreens to pick up some prescriptions, and you can find them back there. You can read all their stories, all their accounts. And one of my issues with those accounts are they are inconsistent. As they describe God and Jesus and heaven, they're all different experiences. Um, I, I also I, I saw a man interviewed, a neurosurgeon, who, who told that he had died um, in surgery and went to heaven and talked to God and had a conversation, yet he claimed to be an atheist. And the God that they often describe in their accounts often looks nothing like the God that is described to us in the Holy Scriptures. 
So what are we to do with this? And I think what we do with this is of great importance. Last time we were together, I mentioned that in 2017, that was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. That's a time we we look back on October 31st of 1517 is the date when Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Again, now just over 500 years ago. And the Reformation was marked by the five solas, sola gratia, uh, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone, and sola scriptura. I think you can probably figure that one out, but that is saying the scriptures alone. And we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is our final authority. The Word of God is superior to experience. And I would believe with all of my heart that God is no longer giving any new revelation. If we believe this, if we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and that the Word of God is our final authority and that the canon of Scripture is closed with the book of Revelation, that God is no longer giving new revelation, we have to believe what the Apostle John says here, that no one has seen God at any time and believe that this means in the past no one had seen him, during the time of Jesus no one had seen God the Father, And in the future, outside of the eternal state, when we will be with the Lord, no one has seen God. I believe John. I'm a simple person from Indiana, but I believe John. I believe the infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word of God. And I believe that all Scripture, as Paul says, is God-breathed, and it comes from a God who cannot lie. There's a fascination among some today who crave and experience an experience with God that is supernatural, that is unlike anything described in Scripture. And many of these people are, are writing about it and getting, up, uh, getting on YouTube and describing it or telling others from the pulpit or at conferences or at concerts. So what are we to do with this? And does it make us jealous when we hear someone talk about their experience with God, of seeing God or hearing from God? And does that make us crave a similar experience? Well, there was a man in the Old Testament who desired to see God. Perhaps you have heard of him. His name was Moses. He had a beard before beards were cool, even here in West Virginia. And I wanted to read from Exodus 33, verses 1 to 23, about this encounter that Moses has with God. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, depart Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments or jewelry. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. 
Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Then the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who, whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is the servant of God. He is the spokesman for God. He is the one whom God gave the Ten Commandments. And as he's having this conversation with the Lord, I think he gets a little greedy, a little too confident, and he goes to God, and he asks God if he could see him in all of his glory, asking him, Lord, show me your glory. We know that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch, the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, including the book of Exodus that I just read from. He is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. He is giving us an account of this specific time when he personally met with the Lord on Mount Sinai and spoke with him face to face just as a man speaks with a friend. Moses got to do some things and experience some things that no other man has ever been able to experience. No one else in history has been given a set of tablets that contain God's law on them. And not only one set, but two sets, because the first ones were shattered. You know, though, I would not be surprised if somebody, if someday someone tells us that they met with God and God gave them a a new set of commandments. 
uh, where God would say something like, hey, adultery is no longer a sin, that marriage is no longer just between a man and a woman, and that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. I pray that that would not happen, and that would not be any of you who are listening. But Moses wanted to see God in all of his glory, and the Lord said, that is impossible because no one can see my face and live. But God was gracious to Moses and his request, and so he places him in the cleft of the rock, and he covers him with his hand. That is what is called in theology an anthropomorphism. We believe that God is spirit. God doesn't have a hand. But these are human terms to help us understand who God is. If you read Psalm 91, it talks about that God will cover you with his wings. I don't believe God has wings. I think that's a a human way to describe God so that we would understand his love, his care, and his compassion. And it says here that as he covers with him, him with his hand, as his glory goes by, he allows Moses to see his back. And this, to me, is humorous. I hope you find it humorous as well. In the Hebrew, the word for the back part of God here is hindquarters. It really is. God was allowing Moses to see the back part of him, the hindquarters of God but his face could not and was not to be seen. Well, what was the effect of Moses seeing the back of God? What was its effect? We turn to Exodus 34 for the answer, verses 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses was glowing, and the people were afraid of him. He had to put a veil over his face, and that is what happened when Moses got to see just a little bit of the glory of God. When God was allowed, when Moses was allowed to see the backside of God, friends, if if men and women were able and allowed to see God today and see Him face to face and see Him in all of His glory, they would be dead or they would fall flat on their faces on the ground, or they would be glowing like Moses was glowing after seeing just a part of him on the mountain. Sola Scriptura. We believe the Scriptures are our final authority, that the canon is closed. And again, it was closed with the completion of the book of Revelation. There are no New Testaments being written today. There's not another Testament of Jesus Christ. 
And here we see that the Word of God trumps personal experience. The Word of God is superior to any personal experience that I may have. We have to stand firm on this, or else we will become like others who do not believe in sola scriptura, or scripture alone, but would also place on the same level as scripture things like tradition or creeds or personal experience. Back to John 1, in verse 18, John says, No one has seen God at any time. And again, I believe John. John was an eyewitness of the events that are recorded in this gospel. He was one of the disciples of Jesus, the only disciple, as far as we know, that was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. He is the one who has given the true and glorious visions in heaven that are recorded in the book of Revelation. That's a man who really did see God and and the future and all that was taking place in heaven and on earth. This is the testimony of John, and this is the testimony of Scripture, that no one has seen God at any time. Later in this book, John 6, 46, he says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 15-16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 1 John 4.12, also written by John, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It is through Jesus Christ that God is revealed. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And this is what John says here in the second part of this verse, in verse 18 of John 1, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The only begotten God, this is a reminder of who Jesus is. He is deity. He is equal with the Father. John says, who is in the bosom of the Father. And that takes us back to the opening words of this gospel, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This phrase stresses Christ's shared nature with the Father. And then John concludes by saying here that he, Christ, has explained him. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. Jesus was with God for all eternity. And John says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. Jesus is the only one who is qualified to explain God, to exegete God, to interpret God, and to inform us of what God is like. If you're familiar with John 14, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to depart and to go be with the Father. This is before he is crucified. And He says those famous words in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But he also says in that chapter, in verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Friend, do you desire to see God? Do you want to know God and what he is like? Then look to the person of Jesus. 
not in a vision that cannot be verified, but in the inerrant Word of God that has been tested and scrutinized and has endured for generations, that which will last forever. There are two things going into eternity, and that is the Word of God and the souls of men. The Bible endures forever. Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to die early? (laughs) Do you want to... Do you desire to experience the glory of God? Look to Jesus in the pages of Holy Scripture, of of whom John said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So many people today are claiming to also hear from God, to hear God's voice, uh, to get a word from God. And they'll say things like, God told me, and they're very specific. Some will say, I heard the voice of God out loud say to me to do this or to do that. Friends, those are personal experiences that cannot be verified. And often, those things that they hear from God are contradictory to the Word of God. And that is a real problem. I heard of a man one time who said God told him to leave his wife for another woman. That contradicts the very word and commandments of God, and God will not contradict his word. Friend, there is no more revelation. We have the complete Bible, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The canon is complete, and the canon is closed. And I believe again, with all my heart, that God does not speak outside of his word. God has given us his word. Everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness is found in the Bible. I mean, you think about the Bible, it begins with, in the beginning, and it ends in Revelation with, and they shall reign forever. It is an epic of history. It is lacking in nothing. The Bible gives us all that we need. It is sufficient for all things. But maybe you go, Kirby, I still, I want to hear from God. I want to know what is God's will for my life. I want to know him and hear from him. If that is true, if you want to hear from God, this is what you should do. Read your Bible. Because that is where God speaks, through his word. And if you want to hear his audible voice, read it out loud. (laughs) I wish I could take credit for that one, but... I have to say that that comes from Justin Peters, who is a faithful man of God in Oklahoma. You want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. You know, so many professing Christians are really biblically illiterate. Uh, Athletes over the years that I've met and and talked with and and spent time discipling and, and teaching them the Bible, you know, I've had conversations with them and I'll say, hey, you know, you're, you're a follower of Jesus? That's great. And um, I'll say, what are you studying in the Bible right now? What are you reading? And they'll say something like, well, you know, my former coach, he sends me a verse every day in a text message, and so that's kind of what I read. That's not reading and studying the Bible. I think so many professing Christians today are biblically illiterate. They don't know the Bible. And I would just say, may that not be true of us. May we be readers of the Bible. May we be students of the Bible who, who know the book. May we be Bereans, 
don't know if you're familiar with the Bereans, but that is a group of people in the book of Acts, when Paul comes into Berea, they were a people that were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And the people in Thessalonica were great. We read about them in First Thessalonians. Paul commends them. He loves them. But in Berea, it was at another level because Paul comes in and Paul preaches. They heard him preach, this one who was chosen by God, commissioned by the Lord Jesus as a missionary, one who had become an apostle to the Gentiles. And after Paul preached, the Bereans went home and they pulled out their Old Testament scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying was true, that it was accurate, that it was right. I love the Bereans. And we must do the very same thing with every Christian book that we read, with every sermon that we hear, including mine today and every week, with every podcast that we listen to, with every song that we sing along to on the radio. So friends, let me encourage you again, read the Bible. It is perfect. It is without error. It is God-breathed. Why do we read books where people talk about God speaking to them or about their journey to heaven when they died or about their mystical experiences with God? And we sometimes acknowledge, hey, we don't believe all of it. We don't believe that way out crazy and wacky stuff. When you read the Bible, you never have to question its authority. You are assured by the Holy Spirit that what you are reading is true and accurate and right. Read the Bible. It is the only book that you can find in a Christian bookstore, and it is the only book that has ever been written and the only book that you will ever read where the author is present every time you open it. Have you ever considered that? You open the Bible and God is there giving you understanding to his word. So read the Bible, know the Bible, meditate on it, memorize it, hide it in your heart so that you would not sin against God, and obey it. And friends, when you do this and when I do this, this is for our good and this is for the glory of Almighty God. Father, we thank you for this time today as we looked at John chapter 118, or chapter 1, verse 18, and and saw, Lord, again, that no one has seen God at any time, but Lord, you, Jesus, you reveal, you have explained what the Father is like. And Lord, if we want to know God and, and know what he is like, all we have to do is look to the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we want to hear from God, if we want to know, God, what you would want us to do, if we want to know, God, what is your will for my life, all we have to do is look to your word, for that is where you speak to us, where you lead us, and where you guide us. Thank you for your word. May we be a people that, that know and love and meditate and read and study and memorize your holy word. We thank you for giving it to us. We thank you for the freedom we have in this country to, to read it, to learn it, and to study it. May that never be taken away. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And this is Sharing the Victory from the WVU-FCA. This program sponsored by the WVU Chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that message there delivered by Campus Director Kirby Myers. And once again, we encourage you to uh, head to the website. Check out the website, WVUFCA. Dot org and um, it's it's a it's a time quite frankly it's a time for fundraising it's always a time for fundraising right but uh, yeah. at this holiday time 
I know that uh, that you send out a, a special Christmas card uh, that uh, that has a picture of, uh, of of an FCA gathering. And I would imagine if people send you an email, um, they might be able to yeah. uh, to get on that list. Absolutely, K Myers M Y E R S at FCA dot org. And uh, yeah, this is you know a lot of people like to give money at the at year end, and uh, they're looking for organizations, charities to support, and we would love your support at WVU FCA for sure. And you've gotten a good feeling for what the organization is all about if you've listened to this radio show through the weeks and the months and the years, and uh, they're sincere, they're sincere want to uh, spread the gospel on campus among the athletes and the coaches, and that's what they're dedicated to doing every single day, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's that pure, it's that simple. And uh, just to share the gospel with the players and the coaches. Check out the website, WVUFCA.org. And that's Sharing the Victory, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR.